Well, my name is Zach, associate pastor here at Christian Church of Estes Park, worship leader, youth leader, and I get to bring the word this morning, and I'm so uh, happy that I get to, um, always happy to be able to bring the word to you this morning. Um, we were talking, uh, I was talking with a few people earlier, um, it's gonna, we we're going to be talking about Sodom and Gomorrah today, and it's just fitting that Aaron left me to preach about Sodom and Gomorrah with you guys, all right? <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, so, so we are going to go through, we've been going through these stories of the Bible in our epic series. And um, we started with, Ab- or with, um, with Adam and Eve. Uh, we went to the Tower of Babel. We also uh, talked about Abraham and Isaac. And in our last uh, sermon, we went over ba- Balaam and the donkey. And the, three, the first three stories that we went over were in Genesis. And the last one uh, we went over was in Numbers. Um, so we've been kind of going over these in chronological order. But today, I want to step back. I want to step back into Genesis before Abraham and Isaac, before Isaac was even born. And I want to tell you guys a story of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, a story that shaped, that really, I believe, shaped the faith of Abraham. Um, but before we do, uh, we have a memory verse. So we want to say that together as soon as I get my handy-dandy iPad going. All right. So our memory verse is uh, out of Genesis 19.17. And Genesis 19 is actually the passage of uh, the chapter of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Genesis 19.17, the angel is talking to Lot and his family. And um, he's saying, flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. And so you may think, what does that have to do with me? Right? Um, well, we'll, get, we'll talk about it a little bit um, as we go through um, this story, um, but it's very uh, applicable, it's very important, um, this verse is for us today. So, two weeks ago, we talked about, like I said before, we talked about Abraham and Isaac. Um, this story, we saw just the immense faith of Isaac, as well as uh, Abraham. Um, we saw especially the faith of Isaac um, when Abraham was called to sacrifice his son Isaac, and they went up the mountain, and Isaac laid himself down on the altar to be sacrificed. Now you have to remember, as we talked about a, uh, a couple weeks ago, that, that Isaac was in his teenage years at this point, and Abraham was well over 100, so there's no way that Abraham um, really uh, got his son on the altar and tied him down himself. No, Isaac laid himself down on the altar to be sacrificed because of his great faith, because of the great faith that was taught to him from his father. Um, and this is a symbol. It's not unlike the sacrifice that Jesus um, uh, did for us, that he laid himself down as a sacrificial lamb upon the cross. You know, Abraham also trusted God to the end. He, he had his dagger up. He was ready to sacrifice his son. Abraham had faith strong enough that he knew that even if he sacrificed his son, even if God had him go through with it, that he would raise Isaac from the dead because Isaac was the chosen son. That God cannot go back on his promise. And there are a couple stories that we're going to see today that I believe led up to Abraham's great faith. You know, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah has been debated for centuries. Uh, many people say it didn't exist. A lot of people say, how could a God a loving God, do this to an entire society, to destroy an entire society. Well, before we move into the story, I want to talk about a couple of these things. Um, first of all, I want to tell you that Sodom and Gomorrah did exist. 
uh, it did happen. And only have we found the site of Sodom today uh, and have uh, physical historical evidence, which we'll talk about later. Jesus himself talks about um, Sodom and Gomorrah, and it talks about how it was historically accurate. I don't have them on the screen, uh, but you can write them down and and, um, um, look them up later. But I have a few passages that talk about uh, that um, where Jesus is actually talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, One of these passages is Matthew ten fourteen through fifteen. Another one is Matthew eleven twenty three through twenty four. Another one is Luke ten twelve. I'm going to say those again so you get them. Matthew ten fourteen through fifteen, Matthew eleven twenty three through twenty four, and Luke ten, uh, Luke ten twelve. Uh, so you can write those down and check me, check my facts. In all these passages, Jesus talks about what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. Secondly, you may not uh, be interested or even believe really in the Old Testament or, that, or in its stories that it brings us. Um, but I would strongly assure you that the Old Testament is just as important to our lives today and just as applicable to our lives today as the New Testament. And you may be saying, well, Zach, um, Jesus was in the New Testament and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross and he rose again so that we can have salvation and we can live with him for all eternity. How is the Old Testament more important than that? Well, I would say that everything in the Old Testament points back to the cross. Everything in the Old Testament, every story that we see points back to Jesus in the gospel. Um, Secondly, I say that that the Old Testament is so important because Jesus himself was a rabbi teacher. He was a rabbi teacher of the Old Testament, which means if you believe in Jesus, you better believe in the Old Testament because that's what he taught. Now, with all that being said, kind of got off on a tangent, but... um, Let's start into the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we're um, going to turn to Genesis 18 later, but right now we're going to start in Genesis 16. And the story starts um, with Abraham, or Abram at this time, moving out of the city of Egypt. Um, if you remember the story, if you've heard the story before, if you've read it, um, Abram is in Egypt. Um, he's with his wife Sarai at this moment. And um, Instead of uh, saying to Pharaoh that his wife, Sarah, is his wife, he says that she's his sister um, so that he doesn't get in trouble, right? He, he fears for his life. Pharaoh takes his wife. Pharaoh takes Sarah as his own, and there's this stuff just starts happening to Pharaoh, and he's like, what in the world is going on? And he finally figures out that Sarah is actually Abram's wife. Um, and so he's not very happy. The Lord's not very happy with Pharaoh, so they ended up leaving Egypt. Now they're going through, um, they leave Egypt, they're going, they pass through the Negev, which is a big desert between Egypt and Canaan. And at this time, Abram is traveling with his wife. He's also traveling with all of his possessions. He's a very wealthy man at this time. And um, he's also traveling with his nephew, Lot. And they um, go through the Negev. And if you, um, if you remember the Negev, the, this desert is this big desert between Egypt and Canaan, is also the place we see in a couple books down the road um, that Moses sends spies through. He spent, sends the 12 spies through the Negev to Canaan. And, uh, and these spies, 10 of them come back, and they say, man, those guys are way too big. We can never fight them. We can never win. And two of them come back and say, well, the Lord's on our side, and we got this. Don't worry about it. But the majority wins, 
And so God punishes them, and they are in the desert for another 40 years. And this is where we get to the last uh, Balaam and the donkey, um, our last story that we went through. Um, uh, we see that the, the Israelites travel through the desert. They have to travel on people's property. They get to the Malachites, and the Malachites aren't very happy with them, so they attack them. And uh, the, uh, the Israelites just wipe them off the face of the earth. Um, we see that, that the Moabites, who uh, were overrun by the Amalekites already, uh, had a city overrun by them, um, saw that the Israelites were coming, and they're afraid of them. So the Moabite king asked Balaam um, to curse the Israelites. And that's where we get to our last story. And I'm not going to go into that any further, because we talked about it last week. Um, and if you want to listen to it, it's on our website. Balaam and Donkey. Aaron did a great job um, at preaching that. So, back to my point. <laughs> they went through the Negev, and they went up to this mountain city called Bethel. And now here at Bethel, Lot and um, Abraham, they had a lot of, like I said, they had a lot of possessions. Lot was very wealthy as well. And so one of uh, Lot's herdsmen gets in a fight with one of Abraham's herdsmen. And Abraham breaks it up, and they decide that they decide that they need to go in separate ways, that the, that the land is not big enough for the two of them. And so um, Abraham says to Lot, he says, wherever you go, I will go the other way. And so Lot looks around, he looks, he looks all the way around, and his eyes catches the Jordan River. See, he says, man, this is well-watered stuff. This is good-looking, beautiful land. He said, I'm going to go there. And so Abraham said, okay, that's fine. I'll go to Canaan, you go to the Jordan. And so Lot goes down to the Jordan, and he pitches his tents um, close to the city of Sodom. Abraham goes to Canaan. Um, We see uh, that um, after Lot is is now by Sodom, uh, he gets himself into trouble a couple times. The second time we see he gets himself in trouble at Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, where God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. The first time we don't usually read about or we don't usually remember. Um, but Lot gets himself in the middle of a war. And at this time, uh, these armies come down. They take Sodom, they take Lot, and they take all of his possessions. And um, they take them captive. And Abraham hears about this. And so he decides that with God's power, he's going to go down with 318 men, which is a very large army for one guy. Um, with 318 men, he goes down and he attacks these armies, and he saves Lot um, and all of his possessions. He gets to take them back. And so Lot was saved. And it's pretty cool how the author Moses, who is the author of Genesis, tells us the exact number, the 318 men of Abraham's, because I think it provides us, it demonstrates um, just uh, the power of God. It demonstrates that Abram won the battle by the blessings of God who promised to protect him and to curse those who cursed him. So Lot was saved. But in the end, Lot stayed in Sodom. Um, In chapter 17, we're going to go through a few of the chapters before chapter 19, just real quick, just an overview. But in chapter 17, we see God reiterates his covenant with Abram and Sarai after they try to do stuff, do it their own way. They try to get a kid their own way. Sarai asks Hagar to sleep with Abram and they get a uh, 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 child Ishmael from that, and God comes and says, uh, no, that's not how I want it. That's not, a, that's not at all what I wanted you to do. And by the way, that kid is not the promised one. Um, he said, still, still love on him, but that kid is not the promised son. And so we see that God reiterates his covenant 
Uh, God comes back a couple times in the next couple chapters. The, first, the next time he comes back, um, God appears to Abram uh, and changes his name to Abraham. So he, he goes from exalted father to father of nations, even though he doesn't have a child yet. Um, the next time God come, comes back, uh, he appears to Abram and he tells him, this time next year you will have a son. And we all remember this story as Sarah is on the other side of the tent and she starts laughing because she's like, I'm almost 100 years old. There's no way that I'm going to be having a son next year. And God calls her out on it. Now, this is the time in, in chapter 18. Uh, this is the same instance where uh, the Lord is there and he tells Abram that he's going to have a son next year, uh, Abraham. And, uh, and this is the time where God shows up to Abraham, to Abraham. And the cool thing is that this time when God shows up, he shows up in human form. Um, and who is God in human form? Jesus. <laughs> right, Jesus, which completely blows my mind, that Jesus shows up and talks to Abraham way before the New Testament. Isn't that crazy? Like, what? Um, it's pretty neat. So Jesus is there talking to Abraham. He's also there along with two angels who, who um, are also there as men. And uh, so these two angels, uh, the Lord starts talking to these two angels after he tells Abram, Abraham that he's going to have a son. And so we pick up in chapter 18 of verse, or verse 16 of chapter 18. And so you can turn there if you would like. I'm also going to turn there because I don't have it marked. All right, you can just follow along with me if you would like. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see, to see them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I, uh, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. By doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is, is as bad as the outcry that reaches me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep, away, uh, sweep it away and not spare, it for the, uh, spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? That's a pretty bold guy. <laughs> the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will, I will um, spare the whole city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold to speak of the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than fifty? Will he destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find forty-five there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him, what if only forty are found there? He said, for the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only thirty can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord. What if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. 
What if only ten can be found there? And the Lord answered, For the sake of ten I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and, the, and Abraham returned home. So the angels, we see the angels that are with the Lord. They went down to Sodom. Um, but the Lord stays, Abraham stays back with the Lord. Um, and Abraham pleads for the city. He pleads for the city. He says, even if there's ten people in the city that are righteous, that follow you, will you, will you not destroy the city? And the Lord says he will not. Now the, the story that we're, um, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, we're going to pick up in chapter 19. So we see the angels, the two angels, uh, come to the gates of Sodom, and they appear as men. And the angels are, these angels are, are messengers, they're servants, they're spokesmen for God. And we see a lot of the times in the Bible, they come as men. Now, Lot is sitting at the gates of Sodom. Lot has gone from living outside of Sodom to living inside of Sodom. And not only that, but to sit at the gates, to, to sit at the city gate means you're a person of prominence or importance. The city gate was where most, most of the powerful and influential people sat. And so Lot, a wealthy man uh, to begin with, came into the city. Obviously, the Sodomites saw his wealth, and uh, because of his wealth, he became, became a very prominent man in the city of Sodom. He used his wealth for his own gain. And so um, uh, we see that Lot is now a full-blown Sodomite. Now, before we go any further, I do want to go to a passage in the New Testament. Um, that I had it marked here, but maybe I don't. We're going to go to Second Peter 2. Comes right after First Peter. All right. Second Peter 2.6. Um, Peter writes here, he writes in the previous passage about Noah. He writes how how um, the whole world was wicked. But because of Noah's righteousness, he saved Noah. And now we get into verse 6. And Peter says this, if, if he condemned, he being God, if he condemned the city of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning um, them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among, the day after, living among, among them day after day, um, I just lost my spot, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. So we see here in Second Peter that Lot actually is a righteous dude. He's a righteous guy. And... Um, um, uh, Peter tells us this, um, but Lot is in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, and we'll see this as we go on in this story. Now, when Lot sees the angels, he invites them to his house. And he says, come, come stay with me. Um, the angel says, no, we're going to stay the night in the square. And Lot says, mm, no, you're not. No, you're not. And, the, and so, and, and Lot pleads with him so much that they end up staying the night uh, with him. And so Lot knows the, corrupt, uh, uh, the corruptness of, of Sodom. Um, he realizes what will happen to these guys, to these angels, if they stay the night in the square. So these guys, the, these angels come to Lot's house, 
And, um, you know, Lot really isn't the best host. Um, Abraham, I believe if someone came to his house, probably treat him as a king. He'd probably give him a really good dinner. But Lot gives them unleavened bread, which is, I believe, is the equivalent to Pop-Tarts. Um, so they, they have Pop-Tarts for dinner. And uh, then they go, and, and they're about ready to go to bed. Now at this time, uh, all of the men, which the word men there means males, all of the males from the city, young and old, come and surround the house, come and surround Lot's house. And they ask Lot to bring these men out because we want to have sex with them. Now this is a corrupt society. This is multiple generations of disgust and disdain for God. The society is so gross that not only the men are perverted, but um, they perverted their kids as well. And so, uh, Lot says this, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. And it's interesting, we kind of skip over that passage sometimes, but he says, No, my friends. And you're like, my friends? These are friends, these are people Lot knows. These are maybe people he works with, people that know his family. And he still has his family living in the city. Now, how do we know this sin is wicked? Well, we can go back to the New Testament. We can see some verses in the Old Testament. Some of these, you can write these down too if you want. Leviticus 18.22 and Romans 1.26-27. 1 Timothy 1.8-11 all talk about the sin of, of, of uh, sexual sin. And in all these verses, we understand that this sin that we're talking about um, at Sodom that was wanting to be committed was wicked. You know, the, the term, we have a term called sodomy, which actually is in New King James or the King James in First Timothy, you see sodomy is used for perversion. And so these guys are so bad that they have a, they have a, a word named after them. Um, not very nice people. Now, it sounds like Lot is a good guy. It sounds like he's doing the right thing, um, that he's doing what God wants him to do, that he's standing up for what's right in God's eyes um, and rebuking this homosexual lifestyle. But have you read the rest of Genesis 19? Um, No, Lot says this. I mean, there's there's no good guys in this chapter, really, not even Lot. He says this. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Come do what you want with them. He says, no, 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 don't do that wicked thing. How about you um, have my daughters instead and do that with them? You say, what? <laughs> this is the Christian guy's answer. This is, this is the Christian guy's answer. This is the, the man um, who believes in God. This guy is so conformed to the pattern of this world that he, th- that he can't think straight. Um, he is so conformed by the city of Sodom that... Um, he, the, the customs and the, the, the things that Sodom um, uh, does uh, is in his mind. He, he can't think straight. You know, a lot of commentaries say that the problem is that, that Lot lives in Sodom, which I agree. The problem is that Lot lives in Sodom. He's corrupted by the world that he lives in. Um, but first and foremost, I would say the problem is that Sodom lives in Lot, that he has been so conformed to that world 
that he has no one else around him, no one else around him who is a believer. They have been so conformed, so transformed by the thinking of Sodom um, that he can't think straight, and he offers up his daughters to these men. Now we bash a lot. We can't believe that he'd do such a thing. But how do we live? And maybe not to the extreme uh, that we see here in Sodom, but how do we live? How many of us stand on the metaphorical street corner and tell people how to live? But when we are in our own homes and when we are away from our churches, we live just like the world. The non-Christian community, when looking at Lot, who, by the way, is a believer, would say, what do you mean morality? You're just as bad as we are. And that's where people like Lot lose the moral high ground. That's where people um, in our society today, in our culture today, Christians who choose to be more like the world than like God lose the moral high ground. That's where churches who choose to treat, to teach, um, to teach things of the world instead of things of God lose the moral high ground. We lose respect. We lose authority. You know, Lot is a leader, but he's a pathetic leader. He's a father, but he's a pathetic father. He's a husband, but he's a pathetic husband. And he's a believer in God, but he's a pathetic believer. The people of Sodom must have thought, man, this, this guy just came to town and he is trying to preach at us. What is he doing? This is a guy who has lost respect. He has no converts around him. No one to stand with him in the entire city. And when these men start pounding at the door, this is what he doesn't do. He doesn't ask for God's help. He doesn't pray. He doesn't ask for God to deliver him. Uh, but you know what God does? He does it anyway. The angels pull Lot in. They shut the door. They strike uh, all the men outside with blindness. And there's absolute chaos and mayhem outside. And the two men, the two angels said to Lot, do you have anything else here? Do you have anyone else, any family? He said, go get your family and go. Because we are going to take this city out. We are going to destroy it. Like fumigating a house for termites. I mean, they're just going to be wiped out. No one left. Everyone is going to die. So Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws, to his two son-in-laws. He said, hurry, get out of this place because God is going to destroy the city. And they thought he was joking. You see, like I said before, Lot is not one of the good guys. He's not, he's not a guy of respect. No one took him seriously because he was of the world. He did the same things they did. The awesome thing, though, is, is this, that the Bible is not about good guys and bad guys. The Bible is about God and his mercy towards man, his grace and mercy towards man. You see, there's, there are heroes and there are heroines and there are villains in the Bible that we read about, especially as we read through these stories, and um, you'll see those. But um, even the heroes fall short. You know, we see David, a man after God's own heart, who... Um, um, takes um, um, a woman for, uh, and sleeps with her, a woman who's not his wife, a woman who's actually someone else's wife. And then, if that wasn't, if that wasn't so bad, he kills her husband. Um, uh, David, I think you messed up, right? Well, the Bible is not about the good guys and bad guys. The Bible is about God's mercy and grace upon man. He saved David. And like we see here, he saved Lot. In his mercy and grace, he chose to save them. 
So Lot has to leave. He has to leave his son-in-laws behind. And we read, then we read the passage uh, that, we, that we memorized today out of Genesis 17, 19. Um, Flee for your lives, the angel says. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. He also says this a little couple verses before to, to leave, to flee, to run. And that time, Lot hesitates. He says, um, he doesn't know if he wants to go. And the next time, after we read this verse, the verse we memorized, um, he said, I can't flee to the mountains. He realizes he doesn't want to go. And we laugh a lot and say, we laugh at Lot and say, uh, again, and say, really, dude, how many times do these angel guys have to tell you to get out of the city, that they're going to destroy the city before you actually get it? Um, but when you think about it, many of us are just like Lot. God goes, run from your sin. Go and sin no more. Sprint the other day, other way. Hurry. And we go, man, God, let me pray about that. Let me think about that. Let me ask for wisdom on that. You know, we have no urgency. We we have, sometimes we have no respect for God. We hesitate like Lot. We love the sin we're in more than we love God. He goes, run. And we go, man, this seems like it's sudden, God. And I don't really like your tone. Right, and we miss it. You know, even though Lot doesn't know if he really wants to go, God overrides his decision. Um, the angels pull him by the ears outside of Sodom and they leave and he would say, you know, we would say, you know, God, what about my free will? Why didn't you just let, let uh, Lot and his family stay in Sodom? What's wrong with that? Why, what about my free will? Well, God loves him so much that he said, get out. And I believe this is a, this is a picture of salvation. I want to use an analogy here so I hope it actually gets my point across. Um, picture this. I live in a house. Now, hypothetically, I pour gasoline all, my ho- all over my house. I set it on fire, chain myself to the kitchen sink. And I say, I want to stay. I don't want to go anywhere. Now, the firemen come to my house, and they're not going to sit outside and go, well, he made his decision. I guess we'll just let him stay in there. And, uh, I guess we'll just let the fire take them. No, they're going to burst down the door. They're going to come running in. They're going to break my chains off. They're going to throw me over their shoulders, and they're going to run me out. Now picture Jesus as a fireman. And picture, um, well, me as me or you. Um, Jesus breaks down the door. He comes running in. He breaks your chains. And he throws me over, over his shoulder all the while I'm beating at his back and say, God, what about my free will? I want to stay. <laughs> and he goes, just a second, just a second, Zach, you'll be safe. Just hold on a second. You know, there's something more, sometimes something more important than our choice. Something more important than our free will. And that something is God's mercy. Sometimes the mercy of the Father is more important than the free will of the child. You know, I'm about ready to be a father. I'm having a girl. And uh, if this girl grows up, when she grows up, because she will, um, if she runs out in the street while there's cars flying by, I'm not just going to say, oh, honey, you're having a good time. 
No, I'm going to say, I'm going to go get her. Go and go grab her. Um, you know, sometimes the free will of the child is not as important as the mercy of the father. So we see that as soon as they had brought them out, these being, uh, them being the angels, one of them says, flee for your lives and don't look back, as we just read. You know, looking back is the equivalent um, to regret and remorse, whether it be um, looking back at our lives before we were saved, looking back at our relationships before we were married. It's saying to ourselves, I'm not sure if I want to focus forward. I'm not sure if I want to look forward. Um, Salvation-wise, I'm, I'm not sure if, if I want to look, fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. With some of us, through salvation, God gets us out of trouble, but then we go, oh man, I miss this or that. I miss doing that before I was saved. Wish I could do that. But we must realize to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, this life only matters if we're living for Christ. Um, you know, we see the penalty for Lot's wife looking back. She turned into a pillar of salt and died. Um, but Lot said to the angels after they said, flee for your lives, don't look back, run to the mountains. And he says, no, no, please, please, my lords, your servant has found favor in your eyes, but I can't run to the mountains. Look, here is a town close enough for me to run to, and it's small. And Lot's words here are like us saying, oh, I don't want to do the big sins anymore, Lord. I don't want to stay in Sodom. I don't want to do the big sins. Just let me run to this little city. Let me do the little sins. And sometimes God intervenes and saves us, and sometimes he lets us get into trouble because we're going to do it anyway. And uh, we're stubborn. And we see that the angel lets Lot run the Zor which is a little city. By the time they get to Zor, they look, um, well, they see the, the, the uh, sky is just lit up with this burning sulfur, otherwise known as firestone and, or fire and brimstone. Um, or if you can picture it, just burning asphalt coming down on Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and Sodom and Gomorrah are completely destroyed. Now, like I said before, um, you can go to the site of Sodom today and you can actually see the sulfur. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I forgot about this until I talked to Aaron last week. Um, but Aaron's, uh, um, one of his teachers, one of his professors in Bible college, um, he was actually, he led an expedition. He was actually one of the uh, people who helped find Sodom. And so Aaron was like, yeah, I've held a sulfur rock in my hand. And, uh, I thought it was, it was pretty cool, just, the, um, just seeing the wrath of God. I mean, you can go there today, 5,000 years later, 5,000 years after this happened, and you can still see the devastation to the land, to everything, because God not only, um, not only killed off the city, not off of every, uh, everyone that was in the city, but also plants and vegetation. Or, uh, vegetation. So... Um, we see the wrath of God. Now you, be me thinking, you may be thinking now, who are we to judge those who are in sin? Who are we to judge those uh, who are outside the church, who are not believers? And I would agree with you, we, we should not judge those who 
are not believers. We are not called to do that as Christians. Um, not at all. But there is a God who has created all and, and who in the end will judge all. You know, this, this picture of Sodom and Gomorrah, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, is just a tiny glimpse of God's judgment. You know, we see um, in the Bible where, you know, there will be, in times, there will be a judgment. Um, um, there will be a judgment when, when, when God will judge everyone on earth. And those who are believers, those who believe in him, will go to heaven, but those who don't will go to hell. And so we see this is a small view of, of the judgment of God in our life. Um, you know, we see, we see God intervening in the, in the lives of, of Lot and his family, his daughters, but we also see God intervening, intervening in the life uh, and working in the life of Abraham. Like we read before in the previous chapter, in, in Genesis 18, Jesus, uh, who was God in human form, talks with Abraham. Abraham begs God not to destroy Sodom, or at least not to destroy um, any righteous person in Sodom. You see, until now, um, Abram, um, well, actually, until uh, the time that he rescued Lot, Abram was this man of faith who had not yet seen God do anything. Um, he had not seen a miracle. He had not seen God's power. He had not seen God fulfill his promise. He's still waiting on the, his promised child. Isaac had not yet come. But Abraham now stands on this mountain and overlooks Sodom, um, and he doesn't say anything, which is interesting. Because if you notice, when Abraham doesn't say anything, he's usually acting in faith, but when he starts saying something, like in 18, chapter 18, he's acting on his own wishes, which reminds me of myself. You know, sometimes I need to listen to God more than I talk to him. But now Abraham is just standing and watching the burning Sodom. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't argue with God or ask him how he could have done this. No, he trusts what God did was right, even if he doesn't understand it. And, though, and through his trust, uh, he trusted, he had faith that God protected Lot. And because of Abraham's prayer, God did protect Lot. We see that in the last last scripture of, of the story. You know, I believe this event, along with uh, Abraham going in to get Lot over co- conquering armies, uh, along with the birth of his son to his 100-year-old wife, were catalysts to the growth of Abraham's faith. Combined, combined with seeing, combining this event with seeing Sarah have, have their baby at 100 years old, it's, it's it's hard to see how Abraham could, not had, could have not had enough faith to trust God when, when the Lord asked him to sacrifice his son. Now, uh, God was preparing and teaching Abraham to trust him through this, which is really cool. So there are a few takeaways we can, we can take away from this story. There are three characters, three main characters, Abraham, God, and Lot. Now, the first character, um, we can take one, uh, one thing, I, I believe, one big thing away from each character. And the first thing we can take away from Abraham is that God teaches us to trust him. God was teaching Abraham to trust him through each and every circumstance, um, even up, up until he had, um, uh, he had his son uh, Isaac and up until he had, God asked him to sacrifice him. You know, even through the good and the bad, 
through the, uh, the bad of trying to save Lot two times, of saving Lot two times, from the good of having his son, from the bad of sacrificing his son, Isaac, that God asked him to do. We see that God is teaching Abraham to trust him. And how much is that true for our lives? That God teaches us to trust him through every circumstance, no matter what we go through. You know, even through the trials, especially through the trials of our life, God teaches us to trust him. God teaches us to grow in faith. You know, there are some things in, in your life, in the future in your life, um, that you may go through that you would not be able to make it through if you had the faith you have today. God may be teaching you to trust him more and more, to grow your faith more and more, to get through um, what life throws at you later in life. Now, um, God wants, wants us all to grow in relationship and in trust and in faith towards him. Second thing from God is that God is just and merciful. We see his, just, we see his justice, we see his judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, we see that that's just a picture of his judgment towards all people, um, that uh, we will all be judged. But we also see his mercy for those who believe in him. We also see his mercy towards Lot. Because Lot was, we read in Second Peter 2, that Lot is a righteous man. He was a righteous man. He was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he did um, really bad stuff. But God, in his mercy and grace, chose to save Lot. He chose to forgive Lot. And um, our takeaway here is that, that even our mistakes, even in our mess-ups, even when we fail God to the extreme, he still loves us. He's still just and he's still merciful, or he's still merciful and gracious to us. The third thing from Lot, don't be a Lot or a little like Lot, all right? Especially in this story. Um, don't choose to be like Lot. Don't sit in your sin. Run away. Run away. And this brings us to the moral of the story. Maybe. Come on. Yep. Um, which is, you know, humanity is bad. From the start, humanity has been bad. But Jesus is good. So take his hand, flee from sin, and, and don't look back. You see, Lot was a believer but he was holding on to the things and the pleasures of the world. He didn't want to flee from sin, but this is what God calls us to do, to run away from anything that displeases God with full force, with all that we have, like running a race straight to the finish line with full force, not looking back, running from sin, running to God. So there are a few things in your connection card this week that I want you to commit to, if you would like. First thing you can commit to is uh, you can commit to memorize, memorizing Genesis 19.17, which we uh, looked at at the beginning of the, um, the sermon, um, just to remind ourselves that we are called to flee from sin, um, to, uh, to run to the mountains, to run away from sin and to run to God. Another thing you can do is read the story. Read Genesis 18, 16 uh, through Genesis 19. We didn't go all the way through Genesis 19, so there's a fun little story at the end of Genesis 19 that I won't spoil for you. It's very interesting. So uh, uh, you can uh, read that if you would like to. Um, 
Next thing you can do is pray for faith. Pray for faith. Pray and ask God to teach you to trust him, to teach you to grow in faith. Um, And don't be afraid to do it. And the last thing you can do is flee from sin. This is what we all need to do. Run the other way with a purpose, with full force. Run to God. All right, let's pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we see that your son Jesus was tempted just like we are, uh, but he never sinned. Help us to overcome and to follow you instead of following the lusts and desires of this world. Uh, Lord, please provide a way of escape every time we're sent, every, every time we are tempted. I pray that, that uh, you would wake us up to how bad we are, how inherently bad we are and how good you are. I pray that our marriages would be different, that our children would be different, that our lives would be different because we chose to trust in you because we chose to live our lives and to pursue you, to follow you and to trust you in everything Lord I pray that we wouldn't leave here like Lot like hypocrites who know the law but don't practice it um, that know what you call us to do but don't do it Lord I pray that we would leave here repentant faithful and trusting in you like Abraham, that we would trust in you with all we have, we hold nothing back, and that we would run from sin, that we would flee from sin, that we would run to you, and um, God, I pray that you would teach us to trust, teach us to um, to live a life uh, that is pleasing to you, and um, to live a life uh, that and no matter what happens to us, that we always have faith and we always trust in you. God, I pray that you would, um, uh, we would see your mercy in our lives and everything that we do, that um, we would see that you are good. Lord, um, as we um, sing this last song, Father, I pray that you be glorified and honored. And as we take uh, the offering, I pray that you would be honored through our gifts as well. And as we put our connection cards and our commitments in the, in the offering plate, I, I pray that you, uh, This would be a form of our worship as well to you. In Jesus' name, amen.